You're listening to Pat O'Keefe. I mean, you look at the Yankees right now coming into this season, they have two of the best five hitters in baseball. I, I don't think that's overstating it. The best pitcher in Major League Baseball in Garrett Cole. For the Yankees, the, the key is going to be to get over that early season hump where in April, in May, last year it bled into June and really it bled throughout the entire season. The Yankees offense constantly seems to be in a malaise. That is where this year Yankee season is going to be decided. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. A snowy Saturday in the New York City area. President's weekend, a holiday weekend. Hope everyone's doing well. Our first full weekend without football. A lot of baseball talk so far as a result, but football never too far from our minds. And let's get into that now with our guest, Gary Myers, longtime NFL reporter and columnist with the Daily News and HBO's Inside the NFL and many other credits. Also the author of a book on the 86 Super Bowl champs, the New York Giants called Once a Giant. Gary, good to talk to you again. How's everything going? Everything's great, Pat. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, good to catch up with you with another season in the books and a highly entertaining Super Bowl at that. Let me start there uh, with the game a week ago. Just overall, y- your thoughts on the Super Bowl and another Mahomes victory, another loss for San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan. What were your biggest takeaways from the event? Well, I, I thought clearly the 49ers were the better team. And they should have gone into the half with a 14 to 17 point lead. And uh, the the fact that Kyle Shanahan has now proven that he is unable to um, win these kind of games with double digit leads, I think raises a lot of questions about what's going to happen going forward in, in San Francisco. And then his decision at the start of overtime, when you really break it down, um, Kicking the ball to start overtime made absolutely no sense, and it came back to bite them. You you want to go second in a situation like that since they changed the rules that an opening touchdown can't win the game. So you're guaranteed of getting a possession, and you much rather know what you need to do on that possession, whether you need a field goal to tie, a touchdown to tie, a touchdown to win. Uh, it's very helpful to have that information in addition to the fact that you're in four-down territory constantly, um, unless, say in this case, the 49ers did not score on the opening possession, but knowing that they needed to get points in four-down territory the whole way and giving that extra down to Mahomes uh, turned out to be a terrible mistake. I agree with that. Thought the same thing in the moment. You know, I look at the San Francisco team. It's hard. So credit here to to Shanahan and the organization. It's hard to be this consistent year after year and get to Super Bowls Mm -hmm. and get to NFC Championship games. Um, That being said, it's a lot of talent on this team to not have come away with a Super Bowl yet. And as you know, Gary, with the salary cap restrictions in the NFL, you can't keep talent like this together forever. Right. And the advantage is they have one more year of Brock Purdy on the rookie contract because they can't do anything until after his third year. So I haven't looked at their cap situation, and right now it's kind of meaningless for every team because there's so much teams can do to get cap compliant, You know, whether it's just restructuring or cutting players who haven't lived up to their contracts. But the fact that you have the quarterback that you don't have to pay yet 
gives them that flexibility. And so I would say that the, the Niners have at least one more year with this window being wide open for them to to get back. And I, I think they're going to the offseason. You have to consider them to be the best team in the NFC. Now things certainly can change between now and camp and now and next January. But uh, I think they go into the offseason as a step ahead of every other team in the NFC. But the thing you have to really – the kind of the intangible that's, that's out there is when a team keeps coming this close, how does the coach continually get them fired up for the next season? when it's just so hard to get back to the point that they were just at last Sunday with a chance with the ball towards the end of regulation to get what it could have been, um, you know, a game-winning touchdown. They have to settle for a field goal just to get back to that point. In the 2024 season, so many things have to go right with injuries and, you know, depending on what – how the other teams in division are playing and they're going to have a bit more difficult schedule. And, and when do they play those teams? Cause who you play is as important sometimes as when you play them. So everything has to fall into place just to get back to having that ball with five minutes to go with a chance to win the Super Bowl. So you, you wonder if all these close losses and such big games will eventually wear this team down mentally. Talking about the Super Bowl with our guest Gary Myers, longtime NFL columnist and writer and um, author of several books. Um, Patrick Mahomes, to me, he's reached the point now, you know, when San Francisco has to settle for a field goal instead of getting seven and you give him a second life. For me, I just have a feeling that he's going to come through. He's going to figure out. And not that's a rare place to be. Not a lot of quarterbacks, you know, Peyton Manning, for example, had a great career. He never reached that level, at least in my eyes. Where do you look at Patrick Mahomes' legacy? I I think it's premature to talk about the greatest of all time because we just had a guy who essentially had Mm -hmm. what Patrick Mahomes has done, but he did it twice during the course of his career. But where do you look at Mahomes in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, you know, one other thing I just want to say about the game is probably the biggest play of the game was the third down that the Niners did not convert inside the two-minute warning or right at the two-minute warning. Because um, if they had converted there, Kansas City only had two timeouts left, and San Francisco likely could have run the clock you know, just about to zero before kicking the winning field goal. Instead, Kansas City gets the ball back with like a minute and 50 to go or whatever and plenty of time for Mahomes to get in a position to kick the field goal. Descended into overtime. But as far as Mahomes has won three at the age of 28 and a half, Brady won three at the age of 27 and a half. I still, I don't think Mahomes will catch him because he's not even halfway there yet. But the thing to remember that gives Mahomes a chance is that Brady went from 27 and a half to 37 and a half, a full 10 years between Super Bowls three and four. Now he won four of them from 37 and a half to 43 and a half, which is unbelievable. So if Mahomes can stack a couple more say in the next, you know, five to seven years and he stays healthy and can play, you know, almost as long as Brady did, then you'd say he has a chance right now. I'd say he's a top five quarterback of all time. And if his career ended today, um, we might even put him a little bit higher because he's already won more Super Bowls than everybody 
but Aikman, who won three, so he's tied with Aikman. Then you have um, uh, Montana and Bradshaw at four, and, and Brady at seven. So he's already in the conversation uh, for top five, for sure. And each one that he wins after this will, will certainly move him up. But um, he's young, he's healthy, and the X factor here is what kind of team does Kansas City continue to put around him. He's been able the last two years to win the Super Bowl without really having a number one receiver. His number one receiver is Travis Kelsey, who's a tight end. Uh, maybe Rasheed Rice you know, moves into that role and becomes a dynamic player uh, in the second year. I mean, he was pretty good, say, the last 30% of the season. But uh, to me, that's still like a weakness of their team is that they don't have the quality receivers that they did you know, when they had Tyreek Hill. So a lot, a lot of factors will go into what happens, you know, over, say, the last or the, the next five to seven years of Mahomes' career. <clears throat> but certainly he's positioned to move, you know, up, at least in my mind, uh, closer to one than five, where I think he is right, right now. You said a couple of things there, Gary. I want to go back to that third down play that you brought up. And that mm-hmm. was another example of Steve Spagnolo bringing the defensive pressure at seemingly the perfect time. And, and I want to ask you about Spagnolo. Obviously, mm-hmm. close ties to New York and what he accomplished with the 2007 Giants and beating the undefeated Patriots. And he became the first coordinator, offensive or defensive now, to win four Super Bowls. Um, he had that masterpiece against the Patriots in Super Bowl 42. You're a Hall of Fame voter, Gary, and I, I know it's not common, but I think Dick LeBeau is in the Hall of Fame largely because of his work as a defensive coordinator. Is, is there a spot in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for Steve Spagnuolo? Yeah, I mean, with LeBeau, um, and he got in the centennial year when we had an expanded senior class, I'm trying. I, I'm. I'm fairly certain he got in as a senior. Um, I, I'd have to go back and look at my notes whether his work as a coordinator factored into that as well, or if he just got in as a senior, um, or he might have got in as a contributor. I'm gonna have to look that up. But um, yeah, I, I would say it's unusual for an assistant coach to to get into the Hall of Fame. Now, Spags is is stacking together some pretty impressive defensive performances. I mean, the two weeks before the Super Bowl, what he did to Lamar Jackson in the AFC Championship game was was incredible. Um, I think, and this is a total second guess on my part, but when the Giants made him the interim head coach after they fired McAdoo with four games to go, he didn't get any consideration. Maybe he got a, a cursory interview or a, a courtesy interview uh, to be the head coach, you know, and they wound up um, hiring Pat Shermer. But I, I think with, you know, Spags did not do well as a head coach when he was with the Rams. They had a horrible team, you know, they kind of had a foot out the door trying to get out of St. Louis. Um, to hold that against them for the three years with the Rams has probably cost them his second chance, but, I promise you, there's been plenty of coaches who've gotten second chances who haven't done anywhere near as well as Spags has done after his first chance, meaning you know everything he's done um, in Kansas City you'd think would earn him another opportunity, but it hasn't uh, to this point. 
Now, whether what he's done is good enough to get into the Hall of Fame, I think it's a very interesting question. I'm not, I'm not really sure. It's been an incredible run for him also. I, I also think, and that, that's a great point about when he replaced McAdoo. My, my remembrance of that is that whole situation, I feel, grew so tox- toxic that they just kind of wanted right. to get a, a, a clean start across yeah, the board. But you know what? I, I think, and again, I don't remember really raising the issue at this time, so it is a second guess on my part. But if, if they made Spags the head coach, and he was beloved in the organization. I mean, Coughlin had loved him as his coordinator. I know he was very highly thought of by the Mara and Pish families. If they had taken a step back and said, all right, you know, we want to divorce ourselves from the McAdoo situation. We're going to keep Spags and let him redo the coaching staff. I certainly think that would have had a better chance of success than keeping Pat Shermer, who had failed terribly in his one shot of being a head coach uh, in Cleveland, the Giants had no obvious connection to Shermer. And again, total second guess. I, I, the way things turned out, I would have rather taken a chance with a guy that they already knew. They knew he was a dynamic defensive coach with the right personnel. And having them bring in a really good offensive coordinator. And maybe the offensive coordinator could have been Pat Shermer, because you know, he was good with quarterbacks, and he did a good job the first year with Daniel Jones. Maybe that would have been the way to go, instead of going from Shermer to Judge and now Dable. We thought Dable was the right guy. And after what happened last year, everybody thinks he's in a proven year now to keep his job. You know, maybe just sticking with Spags there and, and having a really good staff around him would, would have been the way to go. But I, I, I'd like to say that I campaigned for that in the Daily News at the time, but I didn't. Um, so it's one of those things that years later when the guy's really proven himself to be not just a great, one of the best uh, assistant coaches in the league, but probably one of the best coaches in the league. Gary Myers has spent his career covering the NFL, the Giants, the Jets, with the Daily News and a member of HBO's Inside the NFL panel for years. He's got a book out now, Once a Giant, about the Super Bowl 21, 1986 champion Giants and their life after football, available on Amazon and local bookstores. Um, Let's spin it to the current Giants, Gary. And I was going to save this, but let's get to Dable. Uh, Toast of the town, Mm -hmm. year one, coach of the year. Had the magic touch, obviously some red flags culminating in the uh, public divorce with his defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, after the season. So year three for him, how do you look at him and his standing as the head coach of the New York football Giants? Yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, one of the more intriguing questions that will be going into the 2024 season is that, Coach from coach of the year to people wanting him gone. And I, I do think that the arrow has to be pointing up absolutely by the end of this season, this coming season, for him to stick around for year four. I mean, the Giants are, are, are craving stability, both with Joe Shane and Dable. They, they don't want to keep changing coaches. You know, they were doing it every two years for a while with three straight coaches. It, it wouldn't be much of an improvement if Dable only sticks around three years. I mean, they want him to be for, here for 10 years, but they have to show that they're better than they were last year. And and the, the fact that the, all these stories have come out about um, the toxicity, toxicity among the coaching staff and all the Wink Martindale stuff, 
that, that's a bad reflection on on Dable. And you know, my buddy Pat Leonard in the Daily News writing that story that Joe Shane listened in on the headset um, to, to kind of get a feel the way Dable was, you know, treating his assistant coaches during the course of the game. I've never heard of that before. In the 40 years I've covered the league, I've never heard of a general manager monitoring his head coach's interactions with the assistants, and I'm sure that came as a result of, of Shane picking up in the building that that there was a lot of friction going on. And, you know, the, the exit with Wink Martindale is, again, is a poor reflection on, on Dable. So I, I think it's really important that he's got these coaching hires right. You know, they had a lot of turnover in the coaching staff. And I think it's really important that even if the Giants don't make the playoffs, that they at least are in playoff contention. Because everybody's in playoff contention now with, with, with you know, the, the, all the extra spots, you know, seven spots per conference. You, you got in the three wild cards per conference. You've got to at least make it interesting for your fans as you get to Christmas. You know, the season extends into January now. And, and the Giants are basically out of the playoff race after 40 to nothing the first week of the season. I mean, nothing went right for them last year. And um, if the same thing happens this year, they'll be looking for a new coach. I think the general manager stays. But um, and I think most general managers do get a chance to hire a second coach if the first one doesn't work out. I, I know the Giants are dying for this to work out with Dable, but, you know, it's a results business. And, if nothing else, he's got to get the quarterback situation straightened out. You know, whether it's Daniel Jones staying healthy and playing great this year or if the Giants draft somebody early, uh, having that kid get in, a, you know, halfway through the season and, and, and showing that he's the guy for the future. But uh, he got hired here because he's supposed to be great with quarterbacks. And uh, Jones had a terrific year his first year. And, and obviously last year he was bad before he suffered the ACL injury. Yeah, and that's the concern because it was injury-related, but like you said, the performance, he had taken a step back even before the injury had come. No question um, about that. Th- that's the biggest question for this team this year. You can't get rid of Jones because of his contract. You can after next season, but he's on right. the roster this year. He's also coming off that injury that you mentioned. The Giants have the sixth overall pick, which is high, but probably not high enough to get one of the top three quarterbacks unless they right. move up. How how would you handle uh, the Giants, with all of their needs at other spots, offensive line, wide receiver, et cetera, et cetera, how would you handle the quarterback position this offseason? Well, <clears throat> I would not take a quarterback at six because there's no guarantee. And I think there's you know five or six good quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, there's no guarantee the top three in this draft, you know, Williams, May, and, um, and Daniels, are going to be the three best when we look back on it in two years, you know, history has proven that when quarterbacks go one, two, one turns out to be really, really good. And one is pretty much a bust when it goes one, two, three. um, Maybe the third guy is just, you know, a a playoff quarterback, but not a a guy who's going to win a Super Bowl for you. Um, I think the giants at six have to take either a wide receiver or an offensive lineman. Um, and then they have two second-round picks. And listen, I'm prejudiced. My kid went to Michigan. I watched every play of the Michigan season. I went to see Michigan beat Wisconsin, Washington in the championship game. I love J.J. McCarthy. His numbers aren't great because Jim Harbaugh played a real NFL offense 
maybe a throwback NFL offense at Michigan where they relied on running the ball, but whenever McCarthy had to make a big play, whether it was in the Rose Bowl game against Alabama or with his legs against Washington when they were backed up to the goal line, I think he's going to be a much better NFL quarterback than he was in college because he's going to get to throw the ball. He's really athletic, has a great arm, and he's accurate. I think I'd like to see the Giants package the two twos and maybe next year's number one, something like that, to move up into the top 15 to get McCarthy. I think he's got just as good a chance of being a Super Bowl quarterback in the NFL as the guys who will go one, two, three. And I, I think you use a six pick to, uh, to fill you, you know, whatever they consider to be the best player to fill the need at wide receiver or offensive line. I, listen, when Brock Purdy can take a really good San Francisco team to the Super Bowl, I think it's proven that if you have a really good roster, you can get there without taking a quarterback first in the draft. And Mahomes, where did he go? 11th or 12th? Yeah. So you don't have to take a quarterback in the top three. I mean, look at the Jets. Um, they whiffed on two quarterbacks within three years. One was picked third and one was picked second. So – they're, they're, you just have to have a great scouting department. And some teams do and some teams don't. And it usually shows up at the quarterback position. You mentioned the Jets. Let me ask you this hypothetical. <laughs> if Woody Johnson mm-hmm. called Bill Belichick and offered him the head coaching job right now, would he come? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I, I think that Belichick has such a deep contempt for the Jets, um, whether founded or not. I mean, the people that he didn't like aren't there anymore. Um, I, I know that the Jets embarrassed him with the whole Spygate thing, but Woody Johnson's the only one left from there, from then, and he had nothing to do with that. That was Tannenbaum and Mangini. Um, now, if you ask me a question, would Belichick come back to the Giants next year? Absolutely. Would he go to Dallas? Absolutely. Those are one and one A uh, for me, for Belichick next year. And I think the biggest misconception is that he needs to have full control. I think he said it right at the end of the regular season, and he sent a message around the league that he he would be willing to stay in New England without full control. I think that would have been an impossible situation because once you have control at the place, it's very hard to take a step back, but I think you can go to another situation and just coach. Tom Coughlin did that going from Jacksonville where he had all the power to the Giants where he only coached. And um, I, I will tell you, I know we're probably running out of time. I just I want to tell you this. I sat next to Belichick for eight hours at a Hall of Fame meeting in 2020 in Canton. And there's a lot of breaks in those meetings, so we had a lot of time to talk. And that was, I think I said that was 2020. So that was right around, the, that was, they just, Giants had just hired Joe Judge the day before, I believe. And I said to Bill, would you have come back in 2018 when they hired Shermer? Because if you remember, Pat, that's when that story came out on ESPN, Seth Wickersham, about all the friction between Brady and Belichick and Belichick and Kraft and, and the whole Garoppolo situation. Mm-hmm. And Gettleman was a general manager then. And and Bill said to me, at this point in my career, at this point in my life, 
I just don't want to go into a situation where I have to completely rebuild the front office and the scouting staff. And the way the Giants are right now, that's what would needed to have been done. Now, the Giants, I don't believe, offered him a job, but I had written a story in the Daily News that the opening was there for the Giants to approach Belichick. And, and they didn't do it. And I kind of caught a lot of heat from people saying, you're crazy, you never would go back there. That's the one job I know he would take. And he didn't want to go. If the, if the Giants had offered him a job, I don't think he would have taken it then because of the way the front office was structured. I think the Giants have, have gotten, have modernized their front office. I think they have a good general manager uh, who, who knows, is going to know how to build a team. He learned a lot being with Parcells in, in Miami when Bill was running the operation down there. Shane was a, a high-level scout. I think Belichick would go back to the Giants now because the place is structured correctly. Whether they would want him back or not and whether that would be his best offer, because I think he will have an offer next year. Um, I thought he would have an offer this year. But I, I think you have, you have to keep that not in the back of your mind, in the front of your mind, if things go poorly for the Giants this year. I promise you, and I would have done this if I was still at the Daily News, but I promise you if the Giants get off to a bad start, the Belichick stories are going to start up uh, in the tabloids here. Wow. <laughs> what a world that would be. Um, speaking of Belichick, he's featured in your book, Once a Giant, about the 86 Super Bowl champs. Um, tell us about it real quick and uh, where it's available for those who want to pick it up, which I haven't read and really enjoyed. Oh, thanks a lot for that, Pat. Um, listen, I, I told Giant fans during the course of the season, I'll say the same thing now, that my book is therapy for Giant fans who struggle through the 2023 season because it brings them back to a, a much happier time uh, for being a Giant fan. But th- this book is really about life after football. And I, I interviewed, you name it, I interviewed them, you know, Parcells, Belichick, Sims, LT, Banks, Bavaro, et cetera. Um, not only about what made that team special and the brotherhood that they formed, but how life after football has treated them with the challenges that so many of them have faced, you know, mental health issues, physical issues, financial issues. There's some really, you know, heartwarming stories in there, such as Parcells loaning out $4 million to his former players who were really suffering financially. And really some really heartbreaking stories where there's four players on the record in the book telling me that things got so bad for them that they considered taking their own lives, which were very difficult stories to listen to. And they were very difficult stories to, to write about. But I think this is a really important book because it addresses such a crucial issue of life after football. And I think the biggest compliment that's been paid to me, Pat, is, is uh, friends of mine, uh, people in the business, just some fans have written to me saying it, it's really the boys of summer of football. And that's one of my favorite sports books. And I take that as the ultimate compliment. Because Roger Kahn's book, to me, is one of the great sports books of all time. And if, if my book can even be mentioned in the same sentence with that, and I wouldn't say it, but others have told me that, then um, I think I must have done a pretty good job of this one on, what, again, what I consider to be you know, such an important subject. Absolutely. It's an enjoyable Man, I just want to add, You don't have to be a Giants fan to want to read this because it is, it's just really filled with human interest stories. And if you care about players and, and hearing the impact that football's had on their career, it really could pertain to the 86 Jets, the 86 Cowboys, or you name the team. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a lot of the stories are very relatable to every team. Gary, I always enjoy our conversations. Um, hopefully we'll catch up with you during the offseason, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for having me on, Pat. I always enjoy talking to you. Gary Myers, frequent guest of the program, longtime columnist for the Daily News, covering the NFL for four decades. His thoughts on uh, on the offseason, an important one for the Giants. And, wow, well, something to think about there as we uh, look at the Giants coming up this year. How about the pressure ratcheted up on the head coach? Well, if things don't go right, you now have Bill Belichick possibly waiting in the wings to be available for a job that he has long coveted. Interesting stuff to think about. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Guys, we got All-Star Saturday night coverage tonight. That's right. Starts at 8. I believe so. All right, so that's fun. You'll be tuning in, right? uh, That could be a Kevin Winter vehicle, could it not? Oh, who doesn't love Kevin Winter? Especially Kevin Winter <laughs> on All-Star Saturday night uh, might be the, the heightened, most heightened sense of Kevin Winter we could experience with everything that's going on. So hopefully we get a little bit of that later tonight. So we got the, the skills competition, which um, is followed by the, the three-point shootout and then the slam dunk contest, right? So we got some, we got some Knicks flavor. You guys have a pick for the... For the three-point contest, obviously the Knicks flavor in that field is Jalen Brunson. You got a Knicks pick there or a pick there? (laughs) No. Okay, Harvey, can you name me somebody besides Jalen Brunson who is competing in the three-point shootout tonight? Is Damian Lillard on this? He is, yes. There There you go. go. Congratulations. He's the defending champ, I believe. You also have um, Steph versus Sabrina, right? Stephen Curry and uh, Sabrina Ionescu going head-to-head. Is that the one on the LED court? Uh, I don't know all the particulars of uh, where they're going to be shooting this, but Great. it could be. It could be. Uh, and then you have Jacob Toppin, who, um, with all the wrath of injuries that the Knicks uh, have experienced lately, you, you've seen a lot of Jacob Toppin in the Knicks rotation. Uh, younger brother of Obi Toppin, who won the slam dunk contest a couple of years ago. Jacob Toppin will be in the slam dunk contest. I'll say one thing about the dunk contest tonight. Kudos to Jalen Brown. Not my favorite player, uh, and has nothing to do with the fact that he's on the Celtics. You know, he's the the highest paid player in the NBA right now, which is kind of laughable. Very good player, uh, bona fide All Star player. Kudos to him because I don't remember the last time that we had a star of his stature in the NBA compete in the slam dunk contest. It's something that stars have shied away from for years. So good job by Jalen Brown, um, you know, putting that aside and giving the fans something that they want to see tonight in his competition. Because you have you have Jacob Toppin, you have Mac McClung, who was awesome last year and won it, but he is a G League player right now. And then you have Jaime Jaquez Jr. of the Miami Heat, who's, you know, a solid role player, rookie player for Miami, but certainly not someone who fans are going to flocked their screens to watch in the dunk contest. So that's all coming up tonight. Uh, Jalen Brown, part of that. So the conversation with Gary Myers and the stuff at the end about Belichick. So if you if you look at the all-time coaching wins list in the NFL, Don Shula has 
347 wins, and Bill Belichick has 333. And that's regular season and postseason combined. Um, Belichick, I'm trying to see the Patriots last. They were 4-13 and 13 this year. I mean, he was... He probably thought he would have broken the all-time record at this point. But four wins this year. Last year, they won eight games. The year before that, they won ten games. Those are his... Um, and then the year before that, the uh, the Patriots won, I believe it was, seven games. So those are the four years since Brady. Seven Eight, that's 18, and 10, 28. 32 wins since Brady left. Really kind of slowing the pace that he was on. The record uh, from anybody you talk to who knows Belichick or knows of Belichick, it's something that's extremely important to him. Belichick has uh, always been uh, very, very... The history of the game and the history of the league has always been very important to him. It's shocking to me... It's shocking to me that he doesn't have a head coaching job right now. It seemed to be, you know, a formality during the regular season. Like, he would have his pick of any number of head coach openings. I mean, for the longest time when we knew the Brandon Staley thing was going to run its course with the Chargers, you figured all Justin Herbert is missing is a coach of Bill Belichick's caliber, and it seemed like a perfect fit. Um... And then during the playoffs with the Cowboys' latest meltdown, it seemed like Mike McCarthy wasn't even going to survive the game. Belichick's name surfaces. The way that Nick Sirianni drove the Eagles bus off the road the second half of the season, it seemed like he wasn't long for that job. I mean, there were a lot of jobs and rosters open this year. Not only the amount of coaching jobs and openings there were, but the amount of openings for teams with rosters that are ready to win. The Chargers are, at least at the quarterback position, ready to win. The Dallas Cowboys are ready to win. I know that wasn't open and neither were the Eagles, but there was a time where we thought those could be openings. That's the type of job that's perfect for Bill Belichick. It seemed to be the Falcons or nowhere, and the Falcons end up going with Raheem Morris, and, and amazingly, the guy who's probably the greatest coach in the history of the league is out of a job when he wants to coach. You know, Bill Cowher, and not to, um, not to compare Bill Cowher and Bill Belichick in terms of their coaching resumes, but when Bill Cowher stepped aside from the Steelers and went to CBS to work in the studio, the thought was he would do that for a year or two, recharge his batteries, and have his pick of seemingly any opening he wanted in the NFL. And then I think Coward just really adjusted to the new lifestyle where he still got paid a ton of money. He had to work one day a week. It was not nearly the stressful job that coaching the Pittsburgh Steelers was. And after a while, the first five or six years he was there, though, especially with the Giants, because that was the time when the Giants were turning over their coaching situation every couple of years. And Cower was living in New Jersey, and there was the geographical connection, and his name popped up every single year as a candidate for these jobs. And then he ended up not ever coming back to be a head coach. But that was his choice. This isn't Bill Belichick's choice. Bill Belichick wants to coach, and it's amazing that he doesn't have the opportunity to coach right now.
Now, the Jets thing is different, right? I asked Gary about that because if you're the Jets and you have this team that's seemingly ready-made to win, and uh, look, I was on board with that last offseason when they got Aaron Rodgers and they had that defense and they had Garrett Wilson uh, and they had Brees Hall hopefully coming back healthy, which he did. I was on board that the Jets were a playoff team, a championship contender. I was all in. And I wasn't the only one, all right? And then the way that that season turned out and the disaster that the Jets' season became, I don't care if Rodgers is completely healthy. I don't care how dazzling he is in training camp. I am not jumping back into that pool this offseason. I will go into the season with the Jets with hope and with optimism, and that if things work out to their optimal best, then it could be a really successful season for the team. But I am not buying in again like I and many did last offseason because as we found during this past season, there were a lot more problems with that organization than the quarterback. But just hypothetically, if the Jets really are ready-made to win and they've got this terrific defense, which they do, and these young uh, skill position players, if you could shore up the offensive line and we're working under the assumption that they're going to spend as many resources as necessary to shore up that offensive line because if they don't, it's professional malpractice, okay? All of those things being equal, plus Aaron Rodgers as your starting quarterback, would the Jets be better off with Robert Sala as their head coach or with Bill Belichick? as their head coach. And that's why I asked that to Gary because, look, Gary was there. I'm sure he was in the press conference when Bill resigned as the HC of the NYJ. He's been covering this franchise for decades. Um, would Bill Belichick, under any circumstances, coach the New York Jets? And his answer was a resounding no, which was interesting. But he left the door open for the franchise that has always been near and dear to Bill Belichick's heart, the franchise where he won as an assistant coach, as a defensive coordinator, his first two Super Bowl rings, and a franchise which the front office is certainly in more stable position now than perhaps the last time Belichick could have been a candidate, and a franchise where the head coach is not on the most solid ground entering his third year with the Giants. So that is something that's going to be really interesting if that's hanging over the heads. Because it's not like we're talking about a guy who's in another job who might be leaving that job at the end of the year. Bill Belichick's not in any job right now. He's sitting at home. He's a phone call away. He could take over any franchise tomorrow if an owner has a change of heart. And from what we heard from someone who's known him for a long time, 1A on that list of teams he would consider taking over is the New York Football Giants. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. We'll talk a little hockey at the top of the hour. The stadium series at MetLife Stadium tonight and tomorrow. Tomorrow you got the Rangers and the Islanders at 3 o'clock. Our coverage begins right here at 2.30 on ESPN New York. Dave Maloney, who will be on the call tomorrow with Kenny Albert. Dave, the former Rangers captain, Shoot the puck. will join me at the top of the hour. Let's go back to the phones. Ira in Florida on vacation, apparently. Ira, how you doing? 
Hey, what's happening? How are you? Yep. Yeah, I had, uh, we just uh, had to get out of the cold. I couldn't take it anymore. We I don't blame you. Right. Weeks. No, it's en- enough. Enough was enough. I heard you guys got clobbered this morning, but I feel sorry for you. So anyway, with the Belichick uh, comments, it is hard to believe that he's not coaching this year. You know, maybe he decided that. Maybe word around the league, they, you know, maybe they didn't want to give him full control. But I fully expect able to flame out this year and he will take over the Giants and get get them over the hump once he takes over and you are so 100% correct about one year I mean basically this is a one and done for everybody next year of course Belichick's give them a better chance to win but you know like Gary said he would they would even if they moved heaven and earth he wouldn't coach a single quarter for Woody Johnson it would never happen it's amazing that it's that, you know, I mean, because you think about what's on the table for him um, what and what a story that would be. And, and the fact that how many openings are there? If he goes into New York and Aaron Rodgers stays healthy, he's 14 wins away. He'll get that in a year and a half. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, that, that's if Joe Douglas does the right thing, which I'm holding my breath. And then, you know what, you made some comments about buying in. And, and, you know, I'm always going to try to be optimistic, always support them, feel part of them. But my eyes were open this year because I just don't like the direction or the feel of the regime right now. I, I just don't. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to hope they get this right, but I'm not going to buy into it until I see them start stacking wins together. You know, wake me up next year when they're 6-2. and two. You know, God forbid they ever get off to a slow start. Oh. They want to hang everybody over there. That's it. And and that that's where I'm at too, Ira. Enjoy your enjoy the warm weather. Thanks as always for the call. That's where I'm at with this franchise. And, and I'm not ruling out a turnaround. I mean, God, I, I hope there's a turnaround because if Aaron Rodgers comes here for two seasons and you don't make the playoffs once, and by the way, I'm assuming it's only one more season. If he comes here for two seasons and look, the organization has had to sell its soul. And I'm going to credit the guy who's coming on after me with this. I, I, I really like this saying or this phrase. Ty Butler called it the Aaron Rodgers scholarship. And that's what Joe Douglas is on. That's what Robert Sala is on. That's what Nathaniel Hackett is on. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett, he not only gets free tuition, he gets free room and board, he gets free books, he gets free food in the cafeteria. That's how much of an Aaron Rodgers scholarship he is on. But Rodgers, all he had to do, I mean, that, that that's where this organization just, I'm not going to, I mean, I, I thought of the word pathetic, but that's, I think that's too harsh. It's not good. The organization's not in a good place because when Woody Johnson came out before the last game of the season and said that Joe Douglas is going to be back and Robert Sal is going to be back, and Nathaniel Hackett's going to be back. Aaron Rodgers had already announced that four days prior. That news was four days old by the time Woody Johnson said it. As soon as Aaron Rodgers went on McAfee that Tuesday afternoon and said that he wants everything to come back and run it back the same way, you knew that they were going to come back. That's an amazing situation that this franchise is in, that this guy, this 40-year-old man who outside of taking 
four regular season snaps for the franchise, has no ties whatsoever to the franchise, to the area, to the owner, to the head coach. You know, this isn't a homegrown star who grew up in New York and is coming back home to write the last chapter of his career. He's got no connection to the franchise other than the fact that he's a great player who had worn out his welcome in Green Bay and happened to be available at a time where the Jets' defense made them attractive enough for a player of Rodgers' stature to want to come, willingly come, and play for them. So the stars aligned. We had a lot of fun last offseason. We got to watch Hard Knocks. We got to meet Liev Schreiber. We got to see Nicole Hardman <laughs> predict that the Jets were going to beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Hardman was right about half of that, and he had a hand in that. We got to enjoy all of that, and then the season started. And Rodgers got hurt, and the losses started to pile up. And then what always happens with Rodgers? There's always drama. You know, he kept his mouth shut, and he stayed under control for most of the season last year. But at a certain point, you can't keep a good man down. And by the end of the year, he's talking about making the quickest rehabilitation in modern medical history from this injury. He's talking about people who don't believe that he's going to make that recovery, blaming them for getting the vaccine for a deadly worldwide pandemic several years earlier. You got the full Aaron Rodgers experience. And when fans like Ira say that they don't like the direction that this franchise is going in right now, it's because guys like Aaron Rodgers, and I shouldn't even say guys like Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is running the organization. So, yeah, I don't blame you for not liking the direction of the Jets franchise. Could they start off 6-2 and two next year? They can. I thought they could have started off 6-2 and two this past year. You know, they almost did. They were 3-3. Three and three. They were 4-3, and three, right, with um, Zach Wilson as the starting quarterback. After the Eagles game, I think they got to 4-3, and three, and then everything fell apart on them again. Joe Doug, thank you, Joe. Joe Douglas. The the other part of this is the roster construction. Like I said, I'm working under the assumption that um, that Joe Douglas is going to do everything he can to fortify the offensive line. Because if he doesn't, then he shouldn't be working in the NFL. If he doesn't, he probably shouldn't be working in society. It's that obvious of a problem that needs to be fixed. But there are other problems, and that's what we saw from this franchise last year. There are other problems. The Aaron Rodgers excitement and the Aaron Rodgers experience in the offseason, it kind of blinded everybody to just how bad the offensive line was. It kind of blinded everybody to the fact that, hey, Corey Davis just retired on the spot. Um, we not only don't have a number three or a number four wide receiver, we actually don't have a number two wide receiver. And for a team to go into a season with Aaron Rodgers as the centerpiece of its offense with an uncertain tight end situation, a running back coming off a season-ending injury, and one wide receiver, none of us even noticed because we were all too busy watching Aaron Rodgers spin it in training camp. We're not falling for it this year. Like Ira said, wake me up 
when you're 6-2. and two.